Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquino on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today is taken from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So uh, this past week, in passing, I read the following words. Listen carefully. I'm so sorry to all of those out there who have been abandoned and mistreated by your loved ones because they chose religion over you or politics over you, left or right. That's not what it's supposed to be about." End quote. And these were the words of Mr. Jay Baker, uh, who is the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. You all know that name? You ever heard of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker? So I didn't grow up familiar with Jim and Tammy Faye. I didn't know about their nationally broadcasted Christian show, the PTL Club. Although, and you obviously never saw Tammy Faye on the TV because you would have never forgotten it. Yeah. That's she, for sure. She was pretty uh, glitzy, huh? There's a show called The Righteous Gemstones, and I hear it's a parody of, of this family. Um, I never heard of them because I was brought up in an agnostic household, a borderline, borderline atheist, and I only became interested in Jesus in my early 20s. Uh, and at that time, I was a rock and roller. And I was trying to fit into my first church. And I didn't know how well I fit into it. I was trying to learn how I fit into really intense, hardcore Calvinism. Uh, the Gospel of John Calvin, modern preachers like uh, John MacArthur and John Piper. I was trying to figure out how I fit into that worldview. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but at least in the church I was a member of, trying to fit into that felt overwhelmingly like uh, my beliefs and my behavior were under scrutiny for, for sin and especially for heresy. I talked a lot about that heresy. And in my year at that church, I had a wonderful time actually, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was partaking of the gospel of Jesus that I had first read about in the Bible and that motivated me to try to go to my first church, you know? Well, it was around that time after a year of this experience, which was a little discouraging, I ran into a book by Jay Baker. And the book was called Fall to Grace. Fall to Grace. And he writes candidly about his life, his alcoholism, and his intense lifelong desire to live a godly life right, being brought up the way he was, and his intense shame as a youth, feeling like he failed to live up to it, right? 
And of course, his shame over the sins of his father, because if you don't know, uh, the PTL club, the, the Baker's family ministry went down in flames over the type of controversies that now people consider kind of commonplace for multi-million dollar Christian ministries in the United States. There were financial crimes, marital crimes that, that uh, Jim Baker got in trouble for. Well, when Jay Baker was just a little boy, this is when this controversy happened. The entire world turned against his family, right? They were all over the news and they were making fun of, of the Baker family. And what hurt Jay the most, as a young kid, was how the Christian world turned against him. He thought the Christians were supposed to forgive. That's what his dad taught every Sunday on TV. And so if, if Christians couldn't be relied upon for forgiveness, where was he going to find it? He was trying to find it with God and he was struggling to. He started to have doubts about his faith. He started to struggle a little bit. And he wandered from the faith and he started living a harder and harder lifestyle. And he was kind of falling from grace, is, is how it looked from the outside world. That isn't, of course, until he fell to grace. Fell to grace. He had, he had an epiphany. He had a religious and spiritual awakening as he was a little older. And like Martin Luther and like St. Paul in the Bible and many other Christians, Jay, at this epiphany, he became 100% convinced of grace, of grace, of the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. The boy who wandered astray after having this revolution, uh, revelation, he grew into a man on a mission. And he started his own ministry out of the back of a dive bar in Brooklyn, New York. And on my first day of apartment hunting in the city of Brooklyn, 2011, I wandered into a place called Verb Cafe, and there was Jay Baker, just sitting there with a giant cup of coffee, and he was writing a sermon for this, this church that met in the back of a bar. And this guy had more tattoos than I had dollars in the bank at that time <laughs> in my life, okay? Which is not saying a lot. So just to be clear, he was covered. He was covered, okay? So I started going to his church, Revolution NYC, it was called. It met in the back of a bar called Pete's Candy Store. We played there, too. And it was a great experience for me. You know, I just left that first church I told you about, and I was so discouraged from that experience. But at the back of Pete's Candy Store, right, I would have a beer and a whiskey in one hand, right? And I would listen to Jay preach. I would listen to Reverend Vince Anderson and this other fellow, Pete Rollins, who's a great Christian philosopher. And there'd be other visiting preachers and teachers. And every week I'd hear about the gospel of grace, just pure and simple, grace. So I want to say a few things about this experience. Looking back, this community um, and the others connected to it that I rolled in, that I started rolling around with, uh, being more objective looking back, it was a progressive Christian community. So that means not just theologically, but also socially and politically, okay? It's slanted left, which is interesting because I just left a church that's skewed right, okay? And as the years went by, and maybe we've all noticed this, the right goes further right and the left goes further left, right? So as, as my biblical studies deepened, as I got older, as I grew out of youth and more into manhood, dare I say, in my mid-20s, took me a while, uh, I found myself a little bit lost in this community as the years went on because I found that I was not fitting in the same way I did five years ago. Um, 
they're talking a lot more about me as, as a demographic. As I was engaging with more and people, less and less, who considered me Sean, and more, more people within this community who tried to remind me I'm a white Christian male, and I have to kind of check myself on that level. And, and I thought that I hadn't changed that much. I hope I had, but it seemed to me that the progress that the church made in just three or five years in, in that progressivism just kind of progressed a little beyond me. I felt a little left behind. And suddenly I was feeling the same way I did in that previous church. I felt a little uh, like I was being scrutinized for sin and heresy, just different types. Um, like microaggressions were the other sins and problematic ideologies, uh, like even like the sovereignty of God were considered potentially heresies from this viewpoint. Um, and other things like my skin color and, and my choice to be a Christian, my gender, um, these were somehow uh, guilty by association because of the identity associated with these things. So in this community that was really welcoming at first, uh, over the years I started to see more and more infighting, more and more judgment. So I ultimately drifted away over the years. Um, so what I found interesting about both cases, first church was conservative, second church was progressive, right? The same outcomes manifested. I felt alienated. I left. And I wasn't the only one in either case, by the way. But I suppose, as different as they seemed, the outcome was the same because they had the same ingredients, namely people. Just people, plain old people. People are really good at infighting, really good at judgment, really good at judgment, and unfortunately, very good at condemnation. So that's my story. And in the end, I felt like what Jay Baker described. I felt a bit abandoned, a bit mistreated by my loved ones, because they chose religion or politics over me, right? I suspect lots of Christians have stories like this from any, any side of the aisle. Um, I, I heard that there was even a controversy here at this church a few decades ago that led to a lot of people leaving. There were lots of hurt feelings. Uh, this happens everywhere. It happens all the time. Wherever there are people, I think this stuff is going to happen, because it's one of our best talents. I want to go back to what Jay Baker wrote. He says, I'm so sorry to all of those out there who've been abandoned and mistreated by your loved ones because they chose religion over you or politics, left or right. That's not what it's supposed to be about. So having heard his story, and maybe having heard mine, we should ask him, well, what is this about, right? What's it about? It's about grace. It's all about grace. Grace, grace. Grace is what the world needs. Uh, the Christian world needs it too. Every church needs it. In the Christian world, there's always this concern, right? We talk a lot from the pulpit about sin. We have to. It's, like, it's in the Bible all the time. Jesus dealt with the sins of the world, right? Well, sure, sometimes Christians get fixated on sins as defined in the Bible, right? In the Old Testament. But if we're being honest with ourselves, often Christians get fixated on sins that are defined by our own ideological preferences, right? Whether left or right or any other uh, frame of reference. And the same is true of non-Christians. This is a people thing. We all have our ideologies and we all have our measuring stick for what's right and wrong, you know? And that's not a bad thing, by the way. But because of this and because the way we act around this, the world needs to hear these words anew every day. These words from 1 John, where he says... Well, if anyone does sin, 
If anyone does sin, if, it should be when, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. This means that even if someone is not a Christian, God's grace still applies to them, right? Christ died for that person's sins. Now imagine, imagine you're at town hall and people are having a disagreement. Imagine you're in Islanders Talk on Facebook. Imagine you're here, right? You're having a meeting. Imagine there's a conflict. Imagine trying to mediate that conflict with the words we just read from 1 John, okay? It might seem absurd. It might be like people look you upside the head, but that is the truth. And the world needs to hear it. And that's the work of the apostle. That's the work of the Great Commission. That is our mission. That is the Christian mission. When these problems arise, there is no other solution. You gotta say, hey, if someone sins, if someone's doing wrong, if someone's upsetting you on Islanders talk, and there's a pylon and there's a conflict, there's only one answer. Christ died for that mistake. Christ died for that mistake. Show a little grace, amen? People need to be reminded or hear for the first time that the sins which they bear, which they commit, or the sins for which they judge others, they've been atoned for. They've been taken care of by Jesus Christ a long, long time ago. This is a settled issue. So we gotta be gracious as God has been gracious to us, amen? Amen. So if we're talking about being gracious, then we gotta ask, well, what is grace, right? We gotta make sure we know what that is. The Greek word is charis. That word means gift. It means gift. And so it's a gift to humanity from God. And if we're going to go even deeper and get a little mystical about it, the great Russian theologian Vladimir Lusky, and with good reason, but too long to list here, he says, grace is the divine, uncreated energies of God himself. The energies of God himself. That means grace is everything that God does. Every action of God. Everything that's going on in this world today comes from God, and it's grace. That energy is grace. It is the divine nature in action, and it gets complicated, and we're not going to go that deep into his theology. But most importantly, most importantly, what he points out is throughout the Bible, it says grace is revealed and mediated to humanity by the knowledge of Christ. Grace is revealed and mediated to humanity by the knowledge of Christ. And here's what Peter says about it in 2 Peter chapter one. He says it as a greeting, but this, is, this greeting is so deep, guys. This is deep. Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And through these, he has given us, given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Has anyone ever greeted you like that before? <laughs> that's, that's right at the beginning. That's his greeting. And do you see how he started the passage with grace? and brought it back to the divine nature. 
right? The energies of God. It shows how intimately they're connected. What he's saying is, by the knowledge of Jesus, by hearing about him and knowing who he is, just by hearing about him, just by he- just by reading. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You hear that, your brain processes it. That is a grace bomb. You were just given grace. Grace, divine energy from God just entered you. By the knowledge of Jesus, we receive grace. Thereby, is what Peter says, we become partakers of the divine nature itself. Grace, that's what grace is. That's how we become gracious. Have you ever heard a greeting like that? That's so deep. What is the spirit of grace? How does grace behave, right? What's its nature? What's its expression? John gives us an important clue in the first chapter of his gospel when he says, oh, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. He puts them against himself. For John, grace is to be contrasted with law. Grace is always contrasted with law throughout the Bible. Why are they pitted against one another, right? Well, St. Paul tells us in Hebrews that it's because the law is weak and useless, because the law doesn't make anything perfect. Well, grace, with grace, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Draw near to God, have intimacy with him, right? Nowhere is it said of the law in the Bible that it can make one a partaker of the divine nature, like Peter says about grace, right? Far from it. Instead, St. Paul says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, right? That's an equation. Law equals power of sin. Sin equals the sting of death. Ouch. Okay, that's, that's the law. And bear in mind, the law was Paul's former religion, right? Remember what Jay Baker said about people choosing religion over the loved ones. Do you see how the law at work in religion can be a convicting power, a system of judgment, right? It can be true whether law and religion, whether law and politics, whether having law and culture and common conversation like an islander's talk. The little ins and outs of being an islander that not everyone knows because it's not written down. Even that's the spirit of law, right? Paul says elsewhere, apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. There's that connection between law, sin, and death again. And it's not that the commandment of the law, a moral, is, is bad in itself. The law is holy, he says. The commandment is holy, it's righteous, it's good. But in order that sin might be exposed as sin, it produced death in me, he says, through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Basically, the law condemns sin, that's all he's saying. But that kind of hurts me when I do a sin, because it's meant to punish me, right? It produces death in me. So let's take note of what we're learning here, because for all the judgments y'all can pass on one another in the world, right? We all, we all do that. Your judgment might indeed be just, right? The standard by which you judge might actually be holy, righteous, and good. In short, you might be right when you do that. You might be right, but it produces death in those you condemn if you're gonna exercise that judgment on people. You might be right, but it produces death. That's what St. Paul says. That's the power of the law, 
Okay? And for this reason, Paul says, power of the law is weak and useless because it doesn't make anyone perfect. It doesn't help. And it doesn't make anyone partakers of the divine nature. It just alienates them from God. Right? It just condemns them. Okay. So it's not just for these reasons either that it's vain and futile of us to judge and condemn. It's also futile because it's no longer cosmically relevant. Okay, and let me explain what I mean by that. It's because of the cross. Okay? The cosmos are a different place since the cross. It says in Colossians chapter 2 that God forgave us all of our trespasses. He forgave us all of our trespasses, having canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees, a.k.a. the law, that stood against us. He took it all away, nailing it to the cross. God remade the world on the cross. He, he made this power of the law nada, zilch. He, he made it worth nothing, right? So if we're going to go on pressing moral debt and decrees like this against people, we're not just being vain and being judgmental, but we're being dishonest about how God's creation works now since the cross. You hear what I'm saying? Okay? If we're not reaching out with the spirit of grace, then we are outraging the spirit of grace, is what Hebrews chapter 10 says. The more we judge, this is the lesson of the New Testament, the more we judge, the more we alienate people from God, including ourselves, by the way. But the more we are gracious, the more God is revealed. And it is the knowledge of God which makes people partakers of, the, of his divine nature, partakers of his nature, I'm so sorry to all of those out there who have been abandoned and mistreated by your loved ones because they chose religion over you or politics over you, right or left. That's not what it's supposed to be about. What it's truly about is grace, which draws the family of God together, not alienating us, drawing us together, drawing us into his nature and into the light of his love so that we can partake of his nature. Amen? May grace in the words of Peter, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.